And so, and I also get to announce our speaker for today. And our speaker for today is our wonderful Charles Park. So please welcome him with a great sermon called Unconditionally Worthy. Welcome. I really appreciate it because, you know, I'm a... Have you guys ever heard of Enneagram? Personality type? I am type 2, which means affirmation for, you know, service is a big deal for type 2s. Way to go, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, 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 I'm like Martha in Martha and Mary's story. You know, you try to do stuff for people, and if you don't get appreciated, you get really angry. So, <laughs> that's my problem. Now you know. <laughs> anyway, enough about my flaws and my problems. Um, I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but my oldest daughter, Clara, I don't know if you remember how small she was. She was an itty-bitty thing, you know, for most of her life, Right? I mean, how many of you remember when, like, 10 years ago, tw- yeah, right, 12 years ago, you know, she was, like, such a small, now she's in college, she's grown up, you know, she's no longer an itty-bitty human being, she's, like, a fully grown, <laughs> very capable person, isn't that amazing, like, how things, you know, change and people grow, it's it's wonderful. Now, she's a sophomore, and she goes to a very secular university, and I mentioned this, but she says the biggest thing that's being talked about among her peers, and she goes to a very secular university, but the biggest thing is self-love. Self-love is huge, apparently, at this point. Um, You know, when I went to college, the, the most popular, biggest classes were economics classes. And it was that way until about 10, 15 years ago. But now the biggest classes in universities are like these psychology classes, these happiness classes, you know. They attract thousand students. And like, you know, apparently self-love is like the biggest thing. And I'm actually happy about that, that that's like what's, the biggest thing out there that's coming up because it's part of the greatest commandment, right? It's our, it's the Christian thing. (laughs) Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. You guys heard of this, the greatest commandment? It is the thing that Jesus said, everything in the Bible hangs on this, Jesus said. Jesus said, this is the way to be saved and go to heaven, he said. This is big. And self-love is part of this, right? Because it's love your neighbor as yourself. If you didn't love yourself, if you hated yourself, the whole thing falls apart, right? What are you going to do? You're going to hate people because you hate yourself, right? So you have to love yourself well if you're going to love others well. It's all connected, correct? Are you with me on that? So it's a big thing. It's a big deal for us. Do you remember this character from Saturday Night Live? Stuart Smiley? Anyone, anyone old enough to remember this character? Yeah? 
I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and daggone it, people like me. And he says that every day, looking at himself in the mirror. Right? Everybody laughed at this. It was so funny, and he became a senator. Right? <laughs> It's amazing. The self-talk himself into success. Right? But this was funny, and people laughed because... It kind of gets to the truth of how important it is to, you know, affirm yourself and, and, and say good things or think good things about yourself, right? You could say this is kind of a self-love, but also it kind of doesn't work, right? Like we all know it, 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 it kind of doesn't work. It's like trying to lift yourself off by the boot, you know, strap of your boots, right? You heard that expression, you know, you try to, and I kind of think, how does that work? How would you be able to, like, have you ever tried to lift yourself up? It doesn't work, right? You can talk positive to yourself all day long, and it can have some effect, but it can only carry you so far. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, I have chronic back problem, and I try to tell myself I don't have a back problem, I'm strong, I'm strong enough. It doesn't work, right? Have you tried it? It doesn't work. I think positive self-talk doesn't work because it reinforces conditional affirmation, right? Look at what it says. I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, people like me. And that's why I'm worthy. That's why I am worthy of being loved. There are these qualities I have. I'm a good person. I'm a smart person. I'm a popular person. And that's what makes you know, me love myself. So it's conditional affirmation, right? It's these conditions that make you worthy and loved. And that's nice when it works for you, but the problem here is conditional affirmation feeds into the original sin of fruit of knowledge of good and bad. Right? I mean, I've talked about this for a while in, in, in the church, but for those of you who are not as familiar, you know, being good, being smart, being popular, I'm not knocking that. It's all good. These are enjoyable things. You should enjoy these things and pursue these things, but... If those things are what makes you worthy, that goes against the message of the cross that it is only God's love that makes us worthy and nothing else. Right? That's the heart of the Christian message. When humanity eats from the fruit of knowledge of good and bad, the first thing that happens, as I said before, is they try to cover up who they are. The measuring, the judging, am I good, am I not, you know, am I good enough, it turns inward, the, 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 the knowledge of good and bad. The judging between good and bad, it turns towards the self first. And, and, and the humanity, they feel like they fall short. They are not good enough. They are not smart enough. They are not popular enough. And, and we're familiar with this, right? You know, do you have voices in your head? Anybody relate to that? Do you have any voices in your head that just always kind of measuring how you're doing? Always like judging and measuring and comparing 
and thinking, am I doing well enough? Am I smart enough? Am I popular enough? Have I done the right thing? You beat up yourself when you make mistakes. Anybody relate to that? This is the fruit of knowledge of good and bad applied to yourself. Correct? You're judging knowledge of good and bad towards yourself. And the Christian faith calls that the original sin, the root of all our problems. And uh, when we start going there, where do I stand? We become slaves to what makes us worthy in our eyes. We have to have it. So like Lori Laughlin, the college scandal, right? I mean, it just doesn't go away. I like read headlines all the time about this. Uh, they seem to be in big trouble. <laughs> we shall see. But all these rich and famous people tried to get their kids into college using even illegal means, right? And you kind of think, why? I mean, Lori Laughlin is married. She's married to this this incredibly rich and famous. They are like so well set up, right? Why do you have to have this? What is USC, right? (laughs) Compared to what they already had, right? Why did they have to have that feather in their cap? But they ruined themselves. They destroyed themselves going after something they absolutely did not need, right? Just as if they were compelled or enslaved. They had to have it because I think There was that voice in their heads. Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Am I worthy enough? Even though they're at the top of the very top of the very top, it's still, that voice is still there. You know, knocking you down. And you have to have it. You become slave to this. See, once you build your life on the system of good and bad, it demands to be fed again and again and again. Questions like, am I good enough? It's never, there is never a satisfactory answer to, am I good enough? It will always dog you to the end of your days. Am I good enough? There's no end to that. Never enough. And that's why it's so powerful and radical to believe in unconditional worth. Unconditional worth. That is the message of the cross in a nutshell. God dies on the cross while we are still sinners, before we did or believed in anything. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. No one can boast. That's the point of this message. What do people boast about? You, you boast about being good enough and smart enough and people like me, Right? You, you, you feel good about yourself because of these qualities you have. And the Christian message says they all crumble before the immense love of God that's given to you on the cross. That is the essential message of the cross. Agreed? So this is my first practical suggestion today. Take it as faith that you are unconditionally worthy. It takes faith. It takes belief. But it also takes belief to believe you are worthy because you are good enough and smart enough and people like you. 
You know, why should that make you worthy? That's a faith proposition, right? So it's another faith proposition to believe that you are unconditionally worthy. There is a being. We Christians call it God. But if you don't like that term, call it whatever you will. You know, these days, universe, you know, whatever. But call it whatever you want. But there is a being that loves you unconditionally. You are the beloved unconditionally. And that makes you worthy. Because you are worth the cross. Your worth is conferred on you by the one who loves you. And it can never change. It can never be taken away because it's not conditional. It's not about what you do. It's been given to you. This is taught by Jesus in his best-known teaching called the prodigal son. It's been called the entire gospel in a story. It is the most well-known story in the world. The parable of the prodigal son. Let's take a look. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Right, he's not a very good guy, right? After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So in the Jewish culture, you can't even eat pig, right? You understand this? So Jesus is painting just... Now this is not a good, he's not a good guy. He has like fallen into rock bottom, awful, terrible place. He's a disgusting human being, basically. He's painting the extremely disgusting human being, okay? Complete failure. No one likes him. He's not even worth pig. Pigs are more valuable than this guy, right? When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father because he wanted to survive, right? Survival plan. But while he was still a long way off, and I have to say, this is a shameless man, right? After what he did, shameless, right? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come home, he said, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back and safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. 
can kind of relate to him, right? He's been working his butt off out in the field. There's a party going on, right? So his father went out and pleaded with him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. I relate to this, right? Do you relate to this? This is an outrageous situation, don't you think? Completely outrageous. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours, but we have to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Don't you feel like the older son has a point? Right? I mean, the younger son is welcomed back and rewarded and showered with everything unconditionally, right? I mean, just unbelievable SOB, right? This just, you know, jerk of a son, right? I I hope I never have children like that, right? None of you would, right? This is a horrible human being. And the older son has obeyed and worked his butt off only to get nothing. What kind of, right, freaking crud is this? Because the father represents God, right? I mean, in all Jesus' stories, justice demands that the father or God is harsh with the younger son and rewards the older son. Otherwise, why behave? The older son has a point, doesn't he? The older son has lived up to his obligation, has been dutiful, stayed within the box. He is a good Christian, right? Whatever, you know, whatever the line is, he's just obeyed. He's inside a good Christian. The younger son, he's so far outside the box, he's off the screen, right? It's the older son who should have gotten the fattened calf. And the younger son should have been thrown out to live with the pigs or whatever, to face the consequences. So now what happens? God gives the younger son a feast, and it's the older son who is found to be outside the father's feast, which represents heaven. In all of Jesus' stories, father's feast like this is heaven. So the good Christian is out of heaven, and it's this horrible human being who is in heavenly feast. How does that work? It's a crazy story, right? Well, it's his own choice. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, right? He's not kicked out. He just doesn't want to go in. (laughs) So it's his own choice. Nevertheless, it's just weird that it's the degenerate younger son who is in the feast. And the good, God-fearing, obedient, good Christian is outside of heaven. That's just so surprising. No wonder Jesus was not popular with the God-fearing people of his day. Right? You, you know this historical fact, right? The God-fearing people of faith of the day killed him. Right? They were not happy with Jesus' teachings. No wonder, because he's saying stuff like this. And I think you might guess where all this is headed. 
But the older brother is all about conditional worth, right? The older brother's his whole mentality is, I worked hard, I'm a good person, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, so I should be rewarded, I should be in, I should have heavenly feast. But that's not the reality he experiences. His life sounds pretty bare and empty and impoverished. He says, you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. Right? Does that sound like a, a fun, good life? I mean, basically he's saying, I've been eating gruel all my life. I, I, do, I can't even have goat, goat meat. What does he eat? Grass? Right? I mean, it's just basically subsistence living and he's working his butt off only to get pretty much nothing. That's a very impoverished, unfun life, right? That's his own description. Sounds pretty bad. But that's what happens when you live by conditional worth. You chase and chase and work and work to prove to yourself in your head that you're good enough, you're smart enough, people like you, so you're worthy. You climb and climb and climb. You become like nearly billionaire like Lori Laughlin and Massimo Giuliani. You are like at the top of the top and you're still chasing. You're still acting as if if your kids don't go to USC, your life is worth nothing, so you're willing to break the laws and risk it all. I mean, what's going on in their hearts that's so impoverished that you have to have, you know, everything? It's just never enough. You're still starving. It's never enough. It all turns to dust. Look again at the older son's speech. Not once does he call his father my father, nor his brother my brother. Instead he says, when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. Right? It's as if he's not part of the family. <laughs> you know, his brother is this son of yours. What does that say? He is not willing to call his brother my brother, right? It's this son of yours. He's lost his right to be my brother. So this brotherhood or the sonship, it's conditional, right? The behavior had lost him worth to be called his brother. But in contrast, the first words from the father to the older son is, my son. Do you see that? My son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Right? So he says, this brother of yours. Right? My son, this brother of yours. In the eyes of the father, in contrast to the old, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours. Right? He corrects the older son. It's not this son of yours. It's this brother. He's your brother no matter what he has done. Right? It's, it's unconditional. The sonship and the brotherhood, these are not conditional things. The younger son is unconditionally beloved. But the younger son, too, has conditional mentality. He says, the son said to him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Right? So what's his mentality? He says, well, I lost my worthiness to be called your son. I am not your son anymore. So both sons are like this. Do you see that? This is the original sin. When humanity ate from the fruit of knowledge of good and bad, it all became conditional. They started judging their worth by their behavior and their qualities. That's why they have to cover themselves up. Before they were happy with who they were, afterwards they had to cover themselves up with these qualities that they can hang on to to say, I am worthy to be called your son or daughter. Right? This is the original sin, this voice in every human being's head that judges and measures and compares. And and look at the social media, right? It's so everywhere. You don't even have to believe in Genesis 3. Just look around. It's in every human being. We're always judging, comparing, measuring each other and our worth. It's there. And it causes all kinds of problems. You feel shame, you feel guilt, and it becomes compulsions. And you, it leads to all kinds of horrible things. been going on forever whatever measure that's in your head that makes you worthy it determines your worth and your happiness don't you agree confess fess up isn't that kind of always there for you how do I look do I have the right weight do I am I successful am I pretty enough Am I a good enough husband? Am I providing? Isn't it all there? But God the Father says, You are worthy because you are my beloved. That's the message. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. celebrate. You see, when the father starts to treat the son like royalty, the son becomes royalty. Do you see that? He becomes worthy in everyone's eyes because of how the father treats him. The worth is conferred on him. The cross stands for the best robe, the ring, the sandals, the fattened calf. That's the cross. That's Christ, the incarnate God, who says, you are worth the life of the God incarnate. Holy crap! I'm sorry for using profanity, but certain moments call for it, right? That's unbelievable, don't you agree? Just let it sit in with you. You are worthy of the life of God incarnate. Holy moly, that's unbelievable, right? 
Now, when you have all that, what more could you add with, well, you went to USC, <laughs> so now you're better. You're more worthy. Right? Now you can say, oh, I'm happy about myself so because I have USC in my resume, so, you know, I'm good enough now. I can feel good about myself. Yeah, right? It becomes ridiculous. Whatever achievements we try to cover ourselves up with to feel good about ourselves pales in comparison to all this given to you. This is why the Bible says, you know, God who gave you His only Son, what more do you want? <laughs> you know? What more could help you feel better about yourself? So, whatever part of your life you feel bad about, you know, so maybe you're not as successful as your brother or sister. Maybe you don't look as pretty as someone. Or maybe you still are, you feel like you're single and like you look at the married people and you go, you know, I fall short because I'm not married. Trust me, marriage doesn't make you more worthy, you know? <laughs> marriage has its own problems. So, right? Married people. <laughs> Doesn't it have its own problems? It, did, it, what, did it like magically solve your problems? Yeah, I, I see like... <laughs> no, you still, you still you and you bring all your problems into the marriage and sometimes it even like multiplies your problems. Right? I mean, I, I have a lot of problems and it never went away. And so, whatever you are thinking that I fall short, you know, I don't have enough money or this or that. What God says is, you are worthy unconditionally. You are the beloved. This stands opposite of the godly older son who is eating from the tree of knowledge of good and bad, left and right. That says, you are worthy only if you are good. Frankly, that's pretty much all the religion in the world. And even Christianity, when you look around, so much of so-called Christian faith becomes all about like the older son, the old covenant. You obey, you're good enough, that's how you go to heaven. You, you, you obey enough, you're a good enough person before the eyes of God, then you go to heaven. You believe the right stuff, then you go to heaven. It becomes all conditional. Islam, whatever religion you can think of, there is an inbox. Secular too. Everyone in the secular world, there are these criteria. You know, you have to be a certain way. This or that. Every human being has eaten from the knowledge of good and bad. And that is all around us. The whole world thinks like the older son. Tying our worth to conditions of life. But that is not the Christian faith. Not the true faith. We believe we are the beloved and we are worthy unconditionally. Because it is given to us. It is the Father's love that defines who we are. 
If we believe that, that's what makes us Christian. It, it doesn't matter what we call ourselves. We can call ourselves Muslim, Christian, secular, whatever. But it is what we really believe in our hearts that define our faith. Do you believe in unconditional worth? So that is the message of the cross. When we put our faith in this, it becomes a solid rock upon which you can build your life and your self-identity. You can see that, right? Once you have that rock inside of your heart, oh boy, (laughs) it will anchor you through everything in life. It will anchor you so good. I think there are some psychologists and therapists among us. I think they will be very happy to hear this. Because, right? I mean, that's what you're trying to help people really get to. Unshakable ability to love yourself and others and God. That's a powerful force you can have throughout your life. So it's worth trying to invest in this. One way to tell whether you are succeeding at this is whether you can rejoice always. It's my second practical suggestion. The Bible tells you rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Now, being cheerful, I'm sure, is a good thing, right? But have you ever wondered why the Bible puts you in such strong terms? This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I mean, you guys always, people, I mean, as a pastor, people always ask, you know, what is God's will for my life? You know, people ask you, pastors, what is God's will for my life? Should I, should I become a doctor or should I become an artist or should I become a writer or should I become a teacher? What is God's will for my life? And I'm, I have to tell you, I don't know. I, I can't. No pastor can tell you what you should be. But this, I can tell you, this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. Why is it so important? Because this is critically important because this is how you get saved. This is how you get into that heavenly feast. Or you become like the older son outside looking in, wondering and resenting how it's all so unfair. See, if you are connected to God's unconditional love, then succeed or fail, you can always rejoice. If you feel like you are so worthy that you, you, you have that robe and ring and fattened calf, then there is this warm glow from inside of you that sustains you, that makes you feel good about who you are. Then whether you succeeded or failed, you can still rejoice, right? Because you feel good about yourself. When you feel good about yourself and people around you and God or reality, then you feel pretty good. You can rejoice. Then your entire life and all your efforts become a work of prayer. Everything you do becomes a work of prayer. Like, yes, you you try to make your life better. You try to improve upon your flaws. Yes, do all those things, but not from this place of if I don't get better, if I don't drop 20 pounds, I'm no good. That's a hellish mentality. 
But if you're connected to this unconditional word that comes from the Father, when you are connected, that's true prayer. When you're connected to that love, then you're praying continually. Then you can rejoice always, no matter what is going on in your life. Then you know you are in the flow. You're good. You are in heaven. You are saved. You are going to heaven. Because you are already experiencing heaven in your life now. That is praying continually. My final suggestion is fight the conditional mentality everywhere you see it. Starting within yourself, but everywhere, try to fight it. Because that's what the mission of Christian disciple is every day of his or her life. You are sent into this world with a mission. Christ sends you as his disciple to spread this message of unconditional worth. Message of the cross. It is your purpose in life. So watch yourself talk. You know, if you start getting depressed by beating up on yourself, watch it, fight it. I know it's very hard. Sometimes you can't help yourself but go there. It is the original sin after all. It is in our blood. But try to fight it. Try to connect to the love of God. You have to drop this attitude. Like the older son, he's got, it's, it's, rank, it's got a rankle in it, but he has to drop his attitude. Right? It's not fair. I deserve more and he deserves to, you know, drop it, fight it. He needs to be grateful to be invited just for being himself. He is the son because he's the son, not because he works his butt off and just go in. Right? That's dropping your attitude towards yourself. You know? Right? Agreed? Amen? Amen. So fight this attitude wherever you find it. You're not worthless if you fail at something. So, this is what makes you Christian in the end. And that makes you a very rare species. Not many people live like this. It's all conditional out there. Wouldn't you agree? So be the light and the salt of this world. Now, let's go out there and spread this message by living it ourselves and being really happy <laughs> like the younger son in the heavenly feast. And that's what witness is all about. Sounds good? It's win-win everywhere. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you sent your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross to tell us we are the beloved unconditionally. Help us to take it in. Whether we call ourselves Christian, non-Christian, whatever we call ourselves, help us to take in this message of salvation that we are worthy unconditionally. That we are the beloved unconditionally. And help us to build all of our life and all of our self-identity upon this solid rock that is Christ Jesus and the message of the cross. Help us, O oh God, because we really need help because every day 
we go towards judging everything, and we become depressed, helpless, despairing, wondering about all kinds of things. Remove those thoughts, O God. Fight for us with your Holy Spirit. Come even now into our hearts and heads and help us to live in the grace of the loving God that we might experience heaven for ourselves and spread it to all the people we are connected to. Change us from inside out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.